Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no man has gone before. Engage. Engage. Kirk Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Sisko. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Engage! Engage, everyone! Engage! Welcome back to Engage! My name is Jordan Hoffman, and this is the newest, latest episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. It is hot! I don't know what it's like on your planet, but where we are on Sol 3 in late July, early August, it is disgusting outside. Class Y out there. Holy smokes, is it hot. But it's cool here on Deck 44, and we've got a great show for you this week. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Dean Pariseau, the director of Galaxy Quest. And this week, we've got another nifty interview. We are going to speak with Doug Young. Doug Young is the co-screenwriter of Star Trek Beyond, a little motion picture called Star Trek Beyond. And um, everybody keeps talking about, oh, Simon Pegg wrote the script. Simon Pegg wrote the script. That's not true. Simon Pegg co-wrote the script with a man named Doug Young. And we're going to talk to Doug Young today. And you know what Doug Young looks like. Because Doug Young is in the film. He plays, plays, as he'll tell you later, he kind of stands there. But he is um, Sulu's husband in that one shot, which was very famous. Actually, he's in more than one shot. He's in three different scenes. So we're going to talk to him all about it. But before we do, a couple of programming notes. Number one, I want to remind everybody, this is important. Uh, to uh, and I'm, I, we gotta I gotta drill this in your head. You gotta like us on Facebook. Get off your rear end. Like us on Facebook.com/slash Engage the Official Star Trek Podcast. Do it. Talk about us on Twitter. You can tweet me at at Jay Hoffman. Use the hashtag EngagePod. Go to iTunes. Rate, review, and subscribe. It's not enough just to listen. You gotta rate, review, and subscribe. You gotta go and read the other reviews. And they tell me I should tell you to upvote the good reviews and downvote the bad reviews because the bad reviews are written by horrible, horrible people who must be destroyed that have a thing about me. They don't like me, and you have to fight in our army. All right, I'm joking. You go to iTunes and write whatever you want. If you don't like the show, that's fine. But listen, if you do like the show, I am going to be at the Star Trek convention next week. Uh, This week, actually, by the time this is heard. And come and say hello. I'm going to be recording from Quark's Bar uh, in Las Vegas at the Star Trek convention in Vegas. For those of you listening that are going to be there starting August 3rd through that sun, uh, Saturday, which is the 7th, I think. And um, I'm going to be on stage a couple of times. I'm going to be hosting the One Trek Mind live panels Saturday, Friday and Saturday. I believe I'm hosting the costume contest on Saturday night, which I did last year, which was my favorite thing 
um, of the entire convention. Um, and then in between, I'm going to be around. I'm hanging out in the merch room. I'm usually taking pictures of people in costume, saying hello to people. Come and say hello. Slip me five. Uh, give me a pound. Give me a hug. Uh, the ladies dressed as Orions, please feel free to, to take selfies with me. I know I'm irresistible. So that's what's happening there. Now, if you're getting the blues and saying, oh, man, I'm not going to go to the Star Trek convention in Vegas. I, I, don't, I, I couldn't make it happen. There is a Star Trek convention coming up in New York over Labor Day weekend. And we have an opportunity for you to go free of charge. We're hosting a contest, and you can enter to win. By going to, jot this down, cbs.com slash Star Trek. Pretty easy to remember. cbs.com slash Star Trek. Scroll to the bottom. That's a key point. Because uh, at the bottom, you will see how you can enter to win. And uh, who knows? You can get a free trip to New York um, and come over Labor Day weekend uh, this year. If you don't win the contest but have a little time and and some dough, come anyway. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, cool. So that's the news with that. Um, now, Brian, did I leave anything out? I think you got that. Great. So let's do it. Let's hear a conversation with Star Trek Beyond's co-writer, Doug Young. Yo, I heard, Brian, I heard about a, uh, a cool new book. I haven't read it yet. But I heard about um, James Rollins has a new book. So I looked it up online because a friend of mine was telling me it was something I needed to know about. So this is what it said. Dig this. This sounds really cool. Uh, I'm reading now. A war is coming. A battle that will stretch from the prehistoric force of the ancient past to the cutting edge research labs of today. All to reveal a true mystery buried deep within our DNA. A mystery that will leave readers changed forever. So I think this is like an evolution type mystery. In this groundbreaking masterpiece of ingenuity and intrigue that spans 50,000 years of human history. So historical uh, story. New York Times bestselling author James Rollins takes us to mankind's next great leap. But will it mark a new chapter in our development or our extinction? Uh-huh. From number one... New York Times bestselling author James Rollins comes The Bone Labyrinth, a Sigma Force novel. Brad Thor calls The Bone Labyrinth Rollins' best thriller ever. Bone Labyrinth from James Rollins is available in mass market paperbacks wherever books are sold. I'm intrigued. I want to check it out. So uh, it's wherever mass market paperbacks are sold. I think I'm going to check it out. I'm going to read The Bone Labyrinth, and I'll get back to you uh, once I'm done. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And we're back. Fantastic. We're back and we have now hooked up via telephone technology, old-fashioned telephone technology, with Doug Young, who's calling in <clears throat> calling in from somewhere on the West Coast, Los Angeles, I believe, correct? That's it. I'm in L.A. Doug Young, thank you for being on Engage, the official Star Trek po- podcast, but more importantly, thank you for being the co-author of Star Trek Beyond, a film that is, uh, I would say, universally beloved by Star Trek fans. Of course, it's a fringe element that doesn't like anything, but those those people can uh, can go suck on an isolinear chip. Everybody loves Star Trek Beyond. So congratulations! Thank <laughs> you very much. That's that's the hugest compliment. I mean, 
That's and that's who we were looking to, uh, you know, please. You know, your your road to Star Trek Beyond is very unique in how you became the uh, co-author and also uh, on screen too, which is something we can't not talk about because it's a it's right. what what is even though you're only on screen for about eleven seconds, a very important eleven seconds. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, mm-hmm. a little bit about your background. You were from where? Where did you grow up? Are you from LA? Is that is that where uh, you come I, from? I was born in L.A. I'm, I, I mostly grew up in, in uh, New Jersey, though, on the East Coast. Whoa! And, it's Jersey in the house. Where in Jersey? Uh, North Jersey, Bergen County. How about that? Brian the Engineer oh, is from North Jersey. And, very uh, nice. I grew up in Monmouth County, so, you know. Oh, okay. Wh- all right. Which, we'll, all, we'll all represent. Which beach did you go to when you were a kid? You know, we, I, I didn't go to the beach a ton. My parents weren't beachgoers, but I do have very good memories of, like, Seaside and LBI. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna LBI, tra- I think I went to probably more often than good. anywhere else. All right. I have I, a very gonna, good friend. I'm going to translate that for other people. Seaside is gross. LBI is nice. Yeah, Seaside is gross. That's where you go, like, in your high school prom, you know? The, 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 uh, that was the big thing. I yes. Remember that seaside guy. Heights on prom night, late at night, is just, is just the streets are just festooned with girls in dresses crying. That's all yeah. it is. <laughs> it's just girls in dresses with their shoes in their hands, sobbing. That's what it's like. Seaside Heights is a disgusting place. Uh, it's yeah. uh, it, it, on, on Star Trek. I would compare it to, uh, you know, just it, it, it's like a it's a it's a planet uh, just rife with the Tepian blight. It's just nothing good is going on there. But uh, <laughs> whereas LBI is uh, is gorgeous. It's it's practically Risa. It's really lovely. So yeah, all right, so you grew up in Jersey yeah. and you've been living in LA for a while. And see, when I first heard your name, um, mm-hmm. I heard that, uh, you know, Star Trek Beyond, there was going to be a new screenplay. There was a, uh, another, uh, this is not a secret, that uh, uh, Bob Orsi had a draft of the script and he was going to direct it. And then Bad Robot and Paramount said, you know what, we want to start fresh. And they brought in Simon Pegg to write it. And I was like, oh, my God, Simon Pegg is not only right. a hilarious actor and a great Scotty, he has written... Uh, and co-written great screenplays. He's co-written the entire trilogy with Edgar Wright, which is uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End, uh, which mm-hmm. are which are each really quite clever scripts. And he co-wrote with Nicholas Frost, uh, uh, Paul, and uh, you know he's a great writer. And then this new sc- uh, screenwriter, a fellow by the name of, of Doug Young, and I'm like, oh, he must be some English dude. And um, uh, but you're not. You're not some English dude. You're some guy no. from New Jersey. So from the way I understand it, you tell me if I'm wrong, because I was piecing this together. Uh, you are an independent uh, writer. You had been working on a TNT uh, show that you co-created called um, Dark Blue. And you yeah. had some screenplays that were floating around. And you were working on a project with one of the Bad Robot producers. And they, and they said, you know what? Put this on hold for now. We're we're bringing you in. We want somebody to work with Simon on the new Trek film. And even though you had, I don't know if you'd ever met the guy before, but that was how it happened. Is that is that a fairly accurate way I've described it? Yeah, I've been working a lot um, uh, in movies and TV, and that that series that I did was years earlier. But I had um, been doing it. I did a script for Bad Robot that went over well, and uh, I was in the uh, developing another project with them when they, yeah, they just kind of said, will you park that for a minute because we've got this other thing if you're interested. And uh, I did not know Simon. I obviously was a fan of his. I didn't know Justin. Um, and, and basically the call that I got that I think was like, 
very late December of 2014, they kind of said, we got this thing, we have a script, we're not using it. You know, we weren't allowed to see that script at all. They wouldn't even really talk about it very much. We tried everything we could to try to get that script, but we just couldn't <laughs> get it. And, uh, and they basically said, y- here's the rub. <laughs> uh, you're going to start from nothing, and we have to shoot in June. And that's pretty intense. Yeah. So I think basically uh, we, we had from like that call to like getting in a room with Justin and Simon was uh, in, in, in uh, London shooting Mission Impossible 5 uh, and then being with JJ and Lindsay Weber, the other producer, that was like, that probably happened in like a matter of like 10 days. Oh my you know, God. Which is, which is insane. You know, 10 days, it usually takes that long to just try to schedule one meeting. <laughs> Wait, but so, so had, have you worked with collaborators before, or have you written on your own? I've I've most, I've always written on my own, um, and then uh, you know, but I, I I had written like on on television stuff, which is very collaborative. Sure, but, sure. Um, and uh, you know, I, I I didn't know what to expect. It was kind of interesting to just go in blind and you know, sort of like put all your preconceived notions away. Um, but I do like working with directors quite a bit. Um, and, um, as soon as I met Justin, I knew, oh, this is going to be great. He's going to be cool. And he was incredibly collaborative. Well, well, so so from what I read, and I'm basing a lot of this on an interview that you did, um, in Buzzfeed with my, uh, colleague, Adam Vary, not long ago, um, you, um, uh, you, you and Simon just went off, you basically went to a cabin in the woods and started writing at breakneck speed and watching Star Trek, old the old series, simultaneously. Was that, <laughs> that was basically your your working uh, conditions. Well, yeah, we had we had uh, weeks and weeks and weeks before we had that with um, trying to hammer out the story and trying to get down the basics and 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 um, uh, and and really working with uh, production a lot because the, the time frame was so compressed. You know, we had to sort of prep stuff um, without much material. So, mm. I mean, literally it was uh, the production designer and stuff going, you know, do you guys think we're going to need to see, like, the hallway leading to the conference room where Kirk goes and talks to Commodore Paris? Wow. You know, and we'd sort of be like, well, we don't know yet. <laughs> but but those things have to get decided then because, well, it, A, it's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever it's going to cost. And then B, um, it's a scheduling thing. So we were in this kind of unique situation of sort of uh, uh, building it as we thought of it. Um, but, yeah, and then at a certain point, we, you know, we, we had to just, we actually had to write the script. And so I, was, I went off to London and we kind of holed up in Simon's place. Um, and we had kind of this really nice, I don't even know what it was, a couple weeks or something where it was just he and I and we can shut away the rest of the world and, um, you know, sort of like our, our working environment there was, you know, Simon's got a beautiful house and it was very sort of like serene and it was just he and I and we were laughing and just having fun with like, oh, we're writing a Star Trek. But it was so contrary to what the rest of the world was going through in, 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 in regards to Star Trek Beyond, which is just sort of like everybody just working at breakneck speed right, right. And, and anxious and, <laughs> and, and it being so chaotic at and time. waiting for and and if this were a simon Pegg type script cut to you two guys and you're drinking tea in in london somewhere and, yeah. uh, and they're hammering construction and you know it's funny because it sounds to me and i preface this again by saying the movie is great it really comes together 
but this is the exact way you're not supposed to make a movie. You're supposed to have, have know what you're going to do first and then go do it. But these things happen in Hollywood. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to compare Star Trek Beyond to Casablanca. That's, you know, those are two different things. But Casablanca <laughs> it might be, is considered by many to be the greatest movie ever made. They were shooting it and they had no idea what the ending was going to be while they were yeah. making it. So sometimes, sometimes these yeah. things happen and they kind of work out. Um, but so what it sounds yeah. to me was I, I don't mean, recommend it. No, yeah, and certainly <laughs> not for your, uh, for, your, for, your, for your blood pressure either. It's probably a little yeah, stressful. Right. But um, so it sounds to me like when you met with Justin, he said, look, here are a couple of things I know what's going to happen. I want to I want to make sure the Enterprise blows up. And mm-hmm. um, and there were probably a few other things. And then you knew you had to hit those notes and the rest you could kind of, you know, you, you kind of had to connect the dots for there. What were some of the other things? Is that is that where the concept of Yorktown came up? Was it in those meetings with with Justin or what were some of the other things that you knew you had to hit while you went off into this uh, uh, well, you know, we know we wanted to do deep space. We know we wanted to have certain thematic elements. Those things were pretty, pretty early. Like we, we, we really, um, knew those things and we were kind of, you know, bending towards those because we just knew that they were going to hold and they were good. Uh, Yorktown kind of came up because one of the things that we, we wanted to have was kind of a viable, um, um, target for the, our villain to have. And we didn't want to make it, oh, there's another bad guy who wants to blow up the Earth. Um, because we're in deep space. Yeah. You know, the Earth isn't going to be right there. Uh, and then it, the, the idea of what Yorktown was sort of fit in thematically what we were trying to do, which is this basically kind of hub of Federation worlds who have come together on the frontier and, um, you know, are trying to sort of sort it out and, 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 and represent everything the Federation stands for. So we, we, we had, uh, we kind of configured that to give us some narrative, uh, you know, things we needed. We also kind of liked the idea of seeing, uh, the, you know, I mean, obviously we went a step even farther than this, but like the idea of seeing the, uh, crew off the enterprise because, uh, one of the things that all three of us like so much are, are the interact, potential interactions between these characters and, and the actors are so good in their roles, and you know, obviously Simon knew the actors so well as well as the characters. But you know, we had these discussions early on where we were like, have you know, have like Chekhov and Uhura had an on-screen conversation ever in at least these last two mm. movies? <laughs> Simon would be like, well, of course they have. <laughs> and then we were like, wait a minute. No, actually, they really have it. Right. He was confusing so, that with just uh, Anton Yelchin and Zoe Saldana hanging out at the craft services table, not the actual uh, characters on the screen, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Like, literally have, you know, even like with uh, Sulu and Chekhov, we were, we were, say, well, you would imagine that they would ask each other what they did that weekend, you know, <laughs> that, and that they would have this kind of rapport as, as you know, literally being like cubicle mates. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, we just never saw that, and, and then so Yorktown. There was a lot. There we had we had more scenes in Yorktown when we first thought of it, where we really kind of got mm. sort of behind the peak of these characters outside of their Federation uniforms, and you know they're sitting behind their stations. But you know, just it, it's for the love of the characters, but it doesn't always serve as a story. Right. So well, there's there's a lot to go. jump off from that. I mean. Uh, I think this, this, what, first of all, in showbiz, always leave them wanting more. So there are some, there's a glowing montage of just like a day in the life of Yorktown that is just like some of the most wonderful, 
upbeat, optimistic sci-fi I've seen in a long time. You know, there's monorails flying around. There's like children running around. There's yeah. there's a guy like a businessman getting into a little mobile transporter, and it's you know it's probably all of ten seconds, but it just feels wonderful. You know, it's one of my favorite moments in the mm. film. Yeah, and um, it is great that we do get to see. I love the ending. I love seeing the characters in, um, I want to say, street clothing, you know, kind of modern, futuristic couture, you know, looking very slick. And um, and you're in there as well. You're in three. You have you uh, wound up being an actor in three pivotal scenes in this film uh, wearing um, nifty futuristic clothing. So I want to talk a little bit about your character. Does your character have a name, first of all? Yeah, we, we, in the script, he's called Ben, uh, and we referred to him in a scene that got cut, but there, there was, his name was, and by the way, I wouldn't call my, my what I did acting. I, I, no, I, I no, would, no, no. Uh, you I got showed... to stand there and don't mess up the scene is basically what he said. <laughs> you had to show fear <laughs> when Crawl and the Baddies are coming and you're showing fear. For, for people who don't realize it, Doug plays uh, Sulu's husband and, and uh, which was, he made international news, by the way. Right. Uh, but in 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 a great moment, but but what is the behind the scenes tale is that you were not originally going to play that part. Is that no? Can you tell me a little bit about how <laughs> how how you went from co writer to guess what you're acting in the movie and guess what you're acting in a part that is going to be headline news for a, a, a lengthy news cycle around the world. Ah, uh, but. <laughs> I didn't think about that at the time. Really, it came out a little bit of a necessity. Um, we were in Dubai, and those scenes with uh, Ben all shot in Dubai, which is at the tail end of our production. And I didn't realize this until later. And when I saw John at the premiere, I was like, oh, I didn't even understand that this was the case. But he, he had kind of requested an Asian uh, uh, actor to play opposite him. Um, because he, he had a sort of reason for it. It was kind of an homage to a friend of his. And, you know, we tried to cast that role in Dubai locally, which is very tough to do. I mean, it's a very small acting pool in Dubai to begin with, but now mm. we're looking for an Asian actor. And uh, they, I knew they were having trouble um, early on. Lindsay Weber, who's our amazing exec producer, and Justin had kind of said, you know, maybe you should do it. And I said, listen, I'm... I'm just not, I'm not an actor, uh, but, you know, thanks for asking. And they actually managed to cast somebody who then fell out at literally like the last minute, like two days before they were supposed to shoot. He, he, he ended up not doing it. And what, so, was it, was it a case of he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to play a gay character or was it more just scheduling or you don't know what it was that. I don't really know. It was a little fuzzy about it. I thought it was kind of strange that he fell out so quickly. I don't know if there was some political reason behind it or what, but, um, you know, and then, so once you're in that situation, uh, you, what are you going to do? And so Justin came back and said, you know, listen, why don't, why don't you do it? You know, it's, it's not going to be that uh, strenuous. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I agreed to do it. You know, but I originally, in the script, he's only really uh, scripted in, um, in two parts. Uh, which was the, the arrival scene and then the, uh, the end party scene. Uh, I didn't realize that Justin wanted to have him kind of running around, um, in the, uh, Yorktown. Right. So. No, it's great. It's great. It raises, it's, it's raises the stakes, as they say in your game. You know, it, it, it makes, it makes it all the more, oh my God, we got to save it because, 
Because Ben's there yeah. and that cute little girl is there, so we got to save and, her. And that's another reason why we wanted to have that character. It wasn't just for this, um, you know, for the kind of uh, idea that we're putting an LGBT character in, in the franchise. We also needed for there to be a real personal reason for these guys to feel the threat of Yorktown being destroyed. And uh, to give one of the characters a family and some real emotional stakes uh, in the whole thing, you know, we really needed that. So yeah. it kind of served a lot of purposes. But, um, yeah, so I got to do it. It's funny, the clothes I'm wearing, um, uh, the camera guys would joke, they, they would say to me, um, A, they kind of dressed you like you normally dress. <laughs> and then B, why are you the only guy here who looks like you shopped, you know, at Banana Republic or something? Because <laughs> everybody else had kind of on, like, crazy, reflective, you know, tech that's right. Well, that's what that's what Sulu loves about you. You have that sort of retro <laughs> feel. You know, it's 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 a nice quirk. Um, well, you know, you should be very proud because it's an it, it made news because it's a it, it's a big deal, and with the goal of not being a big deal in the future. You know, I think right. it was such a smart decision to to play it this way. There's never been an LGBT human character on Star Trek before. They've sort of right. danced the issue in the past. Um, and it's always been an elephant in the room. And uh, as as was stated, or I think Simon said it so beautifully, to introduce a new character and say, oh, and this is the gay character mm-hmm. is, is just, it's not elegant. And this was perfect um, because uh, it's how it is in life. You, you have a coworker and you work with the person and you're professional with the person. You don't really know too much about their, their life. And then you say, "Oh, uh, that person is gay," and you go, "Oh, I, well, there you go." And that's that's how right. it uh, that's how it works for this character, and it's it's terrific. So yeah. Um, in addition yeah, I was to very proud. yeah, no, it's really exciting, and the fact that it got to be you is 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 extra. So that's that's neat too. Now, now I want to do I do want to get back though because you I want to go back to that uh, to Simon's house in England. When you're working on the script, first of all, is he funny all the time in life, or he can be? He is, just a, is he when the camera's not on? He's a regular guy, or is he always kind of funny? Oh well, he's 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 just naturally funny. But you know, aside from naturally funny, he is uh, he's very intellectual and he's very very um, uh, uh, thorough in in you know uh, his his uh, thought process. So he's 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 a great guy. He is super funny, but he's really just a fascinating guy to talk to. And I, I really think that he's one of the most creative people I've ever met, just like all around creative. So it was a real, you know, it was a real pleasure to. And to and, be and with him. it must have been a little odd for him. Did he ever say, "Look, I'm used to working. You know, I've, I've, for decades I've worked with Edgar Wright as a collaborator. You're you're this new entity, and the clock is ticking." Was it ever like, "Well, I do it this way," or or, or was there time to sort of? work out your own process i mean collaborating on a screenplay is weird is weird anyway i think uh you know billy wilder and izzy diamond one of them would type and the other one would pace and, and <laughs> is, it, is it like that or is it is it you're in a room and you're shouting ideas and play acting how does it work um i think i think at first we were just trying to yeah get into a good rhythm and, and you don't know how another person works and i think um you know one of the things that simon said was he he was used to being with edgar and just being able to just like yell at each other um, but obviously we didn't know each other, so we were, we were probably being a little polite with one another. But um, I don't really know exactly if there was just a thing that happened. We just sort of developed a nice rhythm. And, um, you know, he, certainly he was being polite with me at times when something I did was just crap. But, um, <laughs> you 
know, we, we really, uh, I, I, you know, I had so much respect for him, and I, and, and I think, you know, I think I earned, earned uh, his, his trust and respect. And so we just kind of got into a nice thing where if something was crap, um, you know, we could kind of say it to each other in a way that wasn't going to be, um, you know, insulting or, or set back the, the whole process. Because, I mean, they took a real chance. I mean, with that kind of time frame, yeah. if, it, if it didn't work out between us, um, you know, they, the, the whole thing was going to be screwed. So, uh, you know, I always pat myself and Simon on the back because, like, you know, we were able to, you know, luckily we're just, I think we're just kind of compatible as people. So luckily, though, that was the case and we were able to do it. Um, but, yeah, and also, you know, he was, we were separated for uh, long stretches of time, um, he in England and, and, and me in L.A. And, uh you know, yeah, there was one point that, like, theoretically, we, we were able to uh, work 24 hours a day, but there was um, <laughs> yeah. a couple nights where I remember I'd kind of close up, wrap for the day here at, like, 11 at night, and uh, he would just be getting up. And there was one one day we had to cut pages. I remember we had, like, I don't know what we had. We had some tome, like a 170-page draft. And we were like, we can let's just get out as many pages as we can without – affecting the structure or cutting whole scenes. Let's just see what we can do. And, 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 you know, that's a normal process, step in the process. Sure. I had done a whole pass to get stuff out, and I thought I cut, like, something like, I don't even know how many, 15 pages or something. And and I sent it to Simon, and I remember I was driving home, and he texted me, and he opened the file, and he said, you only cut two pages? And I literally almost, like, drove into a telephone pole, and, <laughs> and we realized, like, his program, his final draft script writing program was different than mine. Oh no, it was the British version, so, metric system. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, exactly. So we we were <laughs> we had stuff like that, and 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 I remember just being like, um, uh, some of these little kinks that yeah. wouldn't have happened if we were together, but. You know that was kind of the worst of it, and yeah. so we got we got pretty lucky. And you did do some. I mean, I wasn't joking earlier. You did do some screenings of old shows while you were together. I know. Yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> name dropped in that article with that Adam Vary wrote. Uh, you watch Corbin Might Maneuver, and there is yeah. a line in the film lifted directly from Corbin Might Maneuver. Right. Fans can Absolutely. go back and try to find it for themselves if they don't know. Yeah. And we had a couple. We, do you yeah, remember sorry, some of the others you watched? Yeah, we, uh, it was really nice. We, we would work all day and we'd really just be like, just getting down pages and it was great. And then as a sort of reward, we'd go down to, uh, Simon's, uh, screening room and he'd put, we'd watch original episodes, but we'd kind of like cherry pick the ones we wanted to see. So I remember we watched The Apple. We watched Corbinite Maneuver. Uh, we probably watched The Cage. We watched, um, we might have watched Doomsday Machine. I'm not mm. sure. Um, we may have watched, uh, did we watch Mirror Mirror? I don't know if we watched Mirror Mirror. Did you watch Patterns of Force, which is the one? We didn't watch. Because there are some similarities between Star Trek Beyond and Patterns of Force. Oh, it, no, we, I don't think we watched Patterns of This is the episode Force. where, um, I mean, it reveals kind of who Krall is. He was a former Starfleet guy, and in, in Patterns of Force, he, he kind of recreates Nazi Germany on another, another planet. Oh, right, yeah. And no, we didn't watch Patterns of Force. Um, but you also watched um, Enterprise. You know what? We actually didn't watch Enterprise. Oh, I thought you had. Uh, okay. We, we, um, we, 
we knew it, and I remember having watched some of it. I, I just I find that time, by the way, that time period of the Enterprise to be just a fascinating time in the in the sort of universe of um, uh, of, uh, of Star Trek. Yeah. Um, but when we had developed Kral, we were trying to find kind of a way into you know getting him around to being like, well, why? What you know? What is what is his beef, and why does he have it? And there were some iterations I think early on where I was like, well, maybe he was from a planet that was inducted into the Federation, and he was sort of a, an outlier in that world who didn't want to, you know, be a part of it. But then I, it started to all meld with the Franklin and all this other stuff, and, and, and that's when we were kind of going back in and saying, oh, it'd be cool if he was Mako. Yep. Um, well, it's, it's great and, because it's a wonderful um, salute to you know, hardcore fans that love finding the, 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 the strains of canon that exist in prime timeline and Kelvin timeline, you know, right. the enterprise era is, uh, is, is father to them both. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was a nice, uh, it was nice to recognize that, you know, when he mentions the Zindi war, sure. 98% of the people in the theater just, it's another line, but to those that know their stuff, it's yeah. it's very, very exciting. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of... Uh, we, we were on the uh, web... And, and I know Simon's talked about it, but Memory Alpha is that oh, yeah. uh, web... That we were on that thing so much, and they were so great. They even helped us name the uh, Vulcan amulet or uh, mineral that Spock refers oh, to. Oh, right, right. Um, his, his, but, uh, uh, his, his creepy tracking device for his yeah. girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, but yeah, it was it was definitely like. And by the way, doing the math for all that just to make sure we had it right um, was was. I remember that was a long because we love. Yeah, hey, be great. We'll make a mako. We'll make a military guy. I can't you know? And then we were like, all right, let's make sure this all adds up. Yeah. We've got this NX ship. We've got mako. We've got the birth of the Federation. We've got the Zindi War. Like it all had to sort of line up. And um, I think we did it in a way that that does, even though it's not in text. Uh, I think it. I think it, it held up. I actually read an article the other day that sort of like talked about all that stuff and 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 filled in a lot of the holes. Oh yeah, yeah, know. yeah. No, it, yeah. it it comes together nicely, and it's it's you know in in movies like this, there's people talk about fan service, and there's a way to do fan service wrong, and there's a way to do it right, and uh, you know there there I don't want to shame any other films, but there are some films that just just cram it down your throat, like oh that's the line I remember from the thing. And this wasn't like this. It was integrated into the movie. There were story points. Mm. And then there were a couple of lines that are going to fly over the heads of most people, but giant green space hand is going to mean something <laughs> yeah. more to a Star Trek fan. But if you don't get the joke, it's a funny line anyway, you know? So it's uh, it's terrific. And I'm sure there are more in there that I didn't catch the first time. So uh, I'm excited to yeah. go back. Um, so listen, I did put out a call on our Facebook page for, I said, uh, I said uh, hypothetically, if I was speaking to someone who co-wrote the script what would you want to know so there were a couple of questions from the peanut gallery and i think sure. that you have the answer now obviously part of what's great about movie is sometimes all the answers aren't all always in there you got to fill it in for yourself you got to work it out but if anybody knows the answer to these questions it's going to be you so number one yeah how why did uh how did the name crawl come up he's he's edison um what is his name balthazar edison and then he changes his name. Why does he? Where does where did Crawl come from? What right, kind of, that's a little bit of a um, uh, one of the things that I think uh, kind of got dropped in the editing, or we had changed last minute. But originally, we had conceived that the Crawl was kind of an offshoot of his 
uh, uh, um, uh, um, name, his real name. Uh, oh, like Viger. Like Viger was half Voyager, something like right, that? Right, okay. right. Part of the reason why we didn't do that was Viger, and I think also part of the reason was it just sort of tipped its hand way too much. And then we, I think we conceived, uh, uh, and it might have been in the script or one of the later drafts, that Kral meant something in this alien language um, that's explained either through Jayla or someone else, and that they call him this because of this particular reason. But when you when we got there and we sort of saw it, it just kind of... Um, it, it didn't sort of work, so uh, we just went with the idea that he had this uh, a name that was sort of came to him, and that's what people called him. It but was his handle. We, 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 yeah, <laughs> we had this understanding though that 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 it, that it sort of meant something in this in this alien language. I like that answer. Know? That's a good answer. Okay, I got another one. Um, yeah. So he's got this alien technology. He's basically a soul yeah. vampire. He's going to extend his life by sucking the life essence out of the captured. Uh, spacefarers from other ships got it so far makes perfect sense why does it turn him into a lizard man well the idea was that he had uh, absorbed um, numerous different aliens mm. and that the, the, the sort of cumulative effect was that particular look um, <laughs> it's like when you take a bunch was... of crayons together it all ultimately turns brown so with this you, you get all these soul essences and he becomes a lizard guy yeah and it's it's really the it's a DNA uh, um you know, um, absorption as well. So, you know, there was, we were, when we were originally talking about, we were talking about like he would be very sort of asymmetrical in his look and you would sort of see these different, you know, parts of him that looked, uh, like he was cobbled together. Mm. But I think the design of that got really complicated. And also, again, we were sort of like, well, everybody's going to figure that out pretty quickly. <laughs> so <laughs> it was another kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it was basically, um, he's, he, he's kind of, and again, like thematically, we like the idea right. that here was a guy against, you know, inclusion and integration. And yet he's the physical embodiment of this. Oh, so. oh, I like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, these are things that are, now there's a third question that, I'm going to ask, and then I'm going to answer on your behalf, because I I think I know the answer. All right. So at the big ending, they're in, at the end, they're fighting in Yorktown, and he's got the weapon, and they're floating, you know, through their, in the spot, and they're like, you got to get him into the portal, and then pull the tube, and then suck him out into space. But earlier on Yorktown, they showed that they have sight-to-sight beaming technology. Why couldn't somebody just take him there and beam him into space from that sort of uh, that uh, CIC room that they were in. That's the obnoxious question. I've got the answer for you. Uh-huh. Because they were in that spot, which had those sort of um, uh, forces of gravity that were tearing you in each direction, hence making those eddies that you could fly through, transporter technology right. won't work uh, well in that area. Isn't that right? Isn't that the answer? I think that, yes, we yeah. were saying that the sort of gravitational, <laughs> yeah, the gravitational irregularities there somehow screwed up with the transporter tracking system. Yes. We got it. <laughs> See, I knew it. I knew it. That's the answer. The other answer is, it's a movie. Shut up. But no, yeah. that's the, the, the answer is, uh, is that, and that works for me. So I love it. Um, cool. Well, listen, um, the, so the, 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 other, the other two big questions are, um, do you know of things that were shot that didn't make it into the movie, and are they going to eventually end up on future Blu-rays, or are you uh, out of the loop on that one? No, I mean, I was there every day for production, and, uh, you yeah, know, Justin was very inclusive, so I got to see everything. 
But, um, I, you know, I got to say, honestly, I don't remember that much that got shot that didn't make it in the movie. There, there were some alternate versions of things. Um, but that schedule and the way we were going and the, the, the compression of everything really didn't allow for extraneous stuff. So there might have been extensions on some scenes or, like, kind of alt lines. But right. I can't really say there's, like, wholesale, like, shots and scenes that, that, that got lopped off. Um, in the editing room. Gotcha. So, you know, yeah, I, 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 I love the, um, the beginning of the movie. It just hums along so well. Um, and, uh, you know, not to take anything away from, 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 uh, from you on it, but it reminded me a lot of some of Simon's best work. I mean, the, the opening prologue reminds me a lot of Shaun of the Dead and World's End because they just really move at a clip and they're very clever. Um, yeah, and then it just ha- it just dawned on me last week. Uh, our, our last guest on the show was uh, Dean Pariso, the director of Galaxy Quest, uh-huh. and um, the the kind of the gag at the beginning of the movie is that you know these are fearsome an- uh, aliens, and then you you know perspective changes and they turn out to be these little torpy guys. Uh, reminded me a lot of Galaxy Quest in a way. Um, it almost feels yeah. like almost a little wink to the little blue aliens on Galaxy Quest. I'm wondering if, first of all, if you're a fan of Galaxy Quest and if that was, you know, sort of on your mind. Not saying that it was an homage to that literally, but it, it, it has a little bit of that. It's the closest Star Trek has gotten to Galaxy Quest. It's always been Galaxy Quest is kind of close to Star Trek, and this was sort of a a fun moment uh, that that early that early bit. Yeah. No, well, I love Galaxy Quest. We talked about Galaxy Quest a bit, uh, not so much in, 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 in the scope of, like, story, but just, um, you know, the kind of... I mean, we always talk about, like, Galaxy Quest is a great Star Trek movie. Um, <laughs> it sure is. It's like, yeah. in the, you know, it, it's just fantastic. So, yeah, I don't remember exactly how the Tinaxi thing came about. Um, I'm sure it was uh, uh, um, not meant as an homage to Galaxy Quest, but just, like... Uh, more of like a decision of like, what if we open the movie on a overtly humorous beat, and you know, um, would that work? You know, yeah. and that actually, people were nervous about that right up until they locked the movie. Really? Because oh yeah, I mean it's a risk, you know, and and it's sort of uh, we were combating kind of um, preconceived notions about what the movie might be and what's the tone of it and how's it going to stand up and and some of the trailers people hated and. And all this stuff. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, people were definitely, we were all kind of a little bit like looking at that a little hard. Like, are we going to lose people and then have to win them back? But, you know, after the initial, I think, screenings, you kind of realize why um, Galaxy Quest is popular, which is like people really love the humor of these things. And yeah. To laugh is a great, you know, it's a great way to kind of like invite people into the movie. I mean, I it, I've seen the film two times, and both times it goes over like gangbusters. So, you know, yeah. you did you mentioned uh, the fir- the trailer and the reaction. Uh, the reaction to that first trailer was pretty rough. Uh, people, I guess, just you know, you get somebody on a bad day, and it becomes like a, an echo chamber, and somebody yeah. says they don't like it. And uh, was that that had to be scary for you because it was the first. Uh, you know, the first time you were on board with something this huge, and the first trailer was just. I mean, I don't know how much you read internet comments if you're on Twitter or anything like that. How, how was, how would, now that the movie's come out and people like it and it made good money and you can relax, tell me about that day when that first trailer came out. How, how, how was your afternoon when that, when that went out? Yeah, no, I, it's funny. Um, I think everybody had a pretty strong reaction about it. I mean, I, I, I particularly didn't like the trailer that much because, um, 
it kind of just felt like it was represent misrepresenting what the movie really was, and I kind of felt like, oh, there's an attempt here to try to appeal to to, to people who who don't really know Star Trek or aren't like diehard fans, and you know, it just felt like kind of like a risky marketing decision that was made that didn't really work. Yeah. So I was like, I was very anxious to kind of move past it because. There's just yeah, I mean, obviously you've seen it. There's more to the movie. There's, there's, the movie is about things. You know? <laughs> no, the movie is not about. That. Yeah, the movie's not about Kirk on the motorcycle. The movie's about Spock and Bones and, right. and Spock and Kirk and 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 Jayla and 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 Sulu. And yeah, it's about the characters. You know, I, a question I should have asked you the minute I got you on the phone, and and then I know we got to wrap things up, but. Um, how much of a Star Trek fan were you before you started this? Did you did you watch the show as a kid? I, I know Justin Lin was a huge fan as a kid. Um, uh, was it something you came to later on, or or you know where where well, did you jump yeah. aboard the train? I, I watched uh, Star Trek when I was younger on uh, the station. Oh, you might remember. You remember WPIX? I sure do. Yeah, yeah, remember WPX? It was on late, like eleven thirty midnight or something. We talk about this a lot on on this podcast. How it was on oh, WPIX at midnight. Yep, it was a formative thing for a lot of people our yeah. age and in New York City. So yeah, but it's one of those things that, like, when I watched it younger, you know, you kind of had to get through like the Odd Couple and Mash or something like that. I forgot what their run was, but it was that it was something like that. And then you got to watch Star Trek, and I remember. But when I was younger, you know, you kind of check it out for like the the, the, the cool, weird stuff, and and um, uh, I, yeah, I equate to late nights to the to the music of Star Trek and, and the sound effects. But then um, I became a gen- Next Generation fan, and then I remember then after when Next Generation came around, I would start whenever I'd look at another Star Trek, an old Star Trek. You know, you have this, like, double experience with Star Trek, where you see it as a kid, and you kind of key to it for certain reasons. But when you get older, then the, the sort of real richness of it unveils itself because you're just smarter and you're not, you know, yeah. some snot little kid. <laughs> so that's kind of, um, that's kind of like how I, 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 my experience with Star Trek was growing up, which was um, watching it, enjoying it, not fully getting it, and then later going, oh, you know, this is great. This is like, it's kind of like this repeat gift that you yeah, get. Yeah, no, it really is. Are there some, some aspects of it that you haven't watched yet? I mean, have you seen all the series, or did you miss Voyager or something like that? Or You know, I didn't want. it's funny, I, I haven't watched that much of uh, uh, Enterprise. Um, I didn't watch Voyager that much. Um, and uh, Deep Space Nine, I liked, uh, although, I mean, you know, my favorites really are the TOS and Next Generation. Sure, so. sure. Well, the good news is that, you know, it's all out there, and someday you're going to sink yeah. your teeth into Voyager and, and realize that, uh, you know, it's 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 a gift that, that that awaits you. So it's pretty cool. And, of course, we got the new show coming out next January, and there is going to be, knock wood, uh, allegedly a fourth Star Trek film. But yes. as of right now, you are not involved in any capacity in the fourth Star Trek film. Who, no, do uh, I write yeah, to I my do I write to my congressman to to get that changed? <laughs> do I say no? We want Doug back on the fourth one, or are you, well, you happy to you move on? Can. If your congressman's name is J.J. Uh, uh, Abrams and Paramount Pictures, yes. <laughs> um, no, well, yeah. Apparently, they had sort of been noodling around with this story for a bit while we were working on Beyond. So um, we we yeah we, we we didn't really work on it at all, but. Um, uh, I know the guys who are writing it, and I know they're huge Trekkies, so I feel like they're a good uh, 
ambassador for this. Thing. Sure, or they, 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 are they were the ones. They were the ones who collaborated with Orsi on the on the right. abandoned third one. Yes, but and uh, by all accounts, good guys, smart guys, good writers. So people should feel okay. good about it. So they're getting they're uh, getting a everybody deserves a second chance. So they're getting a second chance. On, yeah, on this yeah. One. but you know, it's like. We're screenwriters, you know, like screenwriters, you, you, you get moved around and, and, sure, and there's yeah. so many things out of your control, so who knows what the story was there, but um, yeah, no, I'm excited about it, and uh, uh, I'm, listen, I'm just so incredibly grateful, and the experience of, of just getting to man the, the helm of uh, something like Star Trek uh, is phenomenal. I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Well, I hate to say it, they, they, they might have you back as an actor. <laughs> it's possible they joking. might have you back they say listen Doug you know we got the script taken care of we don't need you for that but there's a scene there's a there's another party scene and and we want you there uh, you know wouldn't right. that be funny or, or you never know Ch- John Cho may say I, I think I'm gonna <laughs> we should have the divorce scene right. <laughs> that's right he can divorce you that would be fantastic right, um, but yeah. you do have a new project coming up I was checking on ye old internet movie database you have a project which sounds really cool it's called God Particle which is an actual thing the higgs boson mm. particle which you right. wrote and there's some great people attached gugu mabatha raw is in it who i love to pieces this movie has been shot is about to be shot is is in the can what's uh, going on with that i think they're shooting now um you know it, i did it did, the project didn't originate with me uh, i did some work on 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 the script um which was a lot of fun it's a very cool project you know um very cool sci-fi idea and and contained and with great actors and a real like character piece so that's really interesting, um, and it'll be great. And I have another uh, a, a TV pilot that I'm going to shoot in January um, based on a graphic novel from Vertigo called Scalped, which is... Um, oh, I know Scalped. Yeah. You know that book? Yeah. Right. That's got a big following. I'm really excited about that. So that's going to start... We're going to start prepping that and stuff um, as soon as I finish doing some rewrite work, which I'm sure they're going to So you've written about. every... every. Oh, how many episodes have you have you personally it's worked on? It's just the pilot just right pilot. now. Okay. And then we'll shoot the pilot, and then we'll they'll you know make a decision about going to series. But I've had that one for a long time, and it's just a really great project set on an Indian reservation, so another world. Um, and uh, it looks like I'm going to do this um, in HBO Films movie based on the life of uh, Elon Musk. So, <laughs> oh wow, that's gonna, yeah, so that's, you're a busy you know, guy. All, you know, and what about yeah, it's really interesting, but, fascinating but, guy. But this all um, this all originated because you had some projects at Bad Robot. Are those seeing the light of day? Or I know part of a working screenwriter's life is you work on things and they just kind of get get stuck in a drawer and 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 don't happen. But uh, are those yeah. projects on their way? Or can you tell us a little bit about those? There's a project that I wrote uh, for them that's right now titled antwerp which is um based on uh this wired magazine article about uh, the largest diamond heist um in history oh, yeah, which yeah. took place in antwerp obviously. I, I read that article that, that's a great oh, yeah, that's sure. an incredible story yeah that's that's yeah, you that wound up doing that wow okay cool yeah so it's um that's still kicking around i think they're still trying to uh, figure out how to do it and trying to get people attached and you know but, but that that move. was it. what it was T- tell us a little bit about it it was like it was like the down and dirty oceans 11 right these were kind of scuzzy right. guys but they were able to pull off an incredible heist right yeah it was based on the well the, the in the real life situation were these uh, italian thieves who kind of went into the strong box of antwerp that uh you know is is incredibly outdated in their security measures 
And so in a kind of like analog way, these guys were able to break in and, and make out with, um, you know, they think around $100 million worth of diamonds. They, the, the, the sort of mystery of the whole piece is they're not really quite sure how much they made off with because about, I think, $30 million worth of diamonds were, were or $20 million or something like that were recovered. But there's this kind of like question hanging out there of did they actually get away with more of these? They're called black diamonds, which mm. are basically unregistered diamonds. And if so, are they sitting on all this money? <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, it was a real fun story. It was definitely like heist movies are great and, you know, the kind of planning and the characters that get involved. So it's a fun project. Hopefully they can, they can, um, cool. get, uh, get it going. So we're going to be seeing a lot more Doug Young in, uh, theaters and on television in the years to come. So that's, that's uh, great. Let's hope so. Well, and, uh, and you are now an official member of the Star Trek family. You're going to be asked to come to conventions and, uh, Hopefully you make it to one, and and you know we. It's, yeah, uh, listen, I'd love to. It's it's been a really great experience with the whole thing. First, being like, you know, sort of terrified with the, the pressure we were under, but then to be embraced by you know true Star Trek fans, the way we have is pretty amazing. So it's a real high point for me. Well, listen, you got Spock to say horseshit, so that's all I really <laughs> care about. You know, right. that's that's. You you get yeah. a, you get a pass for life from me for that one. So right, right. all right. Well, listen. Um, Thanks again for everything. Uh, go back to your busy life of doing wonderful things, and maybe we'll catch you. Uh, you have an open invitation to return to Engage whenever you wish, so uh, hopefully oh, we'll get back together sometime soon, and uh, congratulations again. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Take care. Bye. Talk soon. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.